0: Greetings and welcome back to The Dive, the weekly podcast in which we take a look at a topic brought up in the previous week's Daf Yomi study and look at it in detail. My name is Yitzchak Shalom, and this is our first shiur on Masachet Eruvin. We're going to take a look at a sugya near the beginning of Eruvin, something that we studied a few days ago, uh, which is on Daf Dalid, uh, which is related tangentially to the topic of Eruv, not central to Eruv, it's a sugya that appears also in the beginning of Masachat Sukkah. Uh, but it's going to open up the door to uh, an intriguing discussion, which will take us at least two shirim to cover. Um, uh, we're going to take, in a slight departure from a normal approach, we're going to reference the two psukim that show up at the beginning of the source material in the middle of our study, instead of studying at the beginning, because that's the uh, the systematically the best way for us to work it. Okay, Amar i Barashi, our Rav. All right, so here we are in source three. Shiurin chatzitzin um mechitzin, halacha <laughs> le-Moshe mi-Sinai. All right, so Rav makes the statement, and the context here relative to a is the issue of mechitzah, meaning the height of a mechitzah uh, that that defines a separate boundary for Shabbat, for, su- for sukkah, etc. All right, so the, but the composite statement is that shiurin, which means amounts, uh, and it would mean all sorts of measures, measures of food, as far as uh, liability for eating prohibited food, or uh, fulfilling a mitzvah with uh, particular foods, etc. Chatzitzin, which means uh, um, interruptions, as it were, physical blocks that are in the way of something, and for our purposes, it's in the way of going to the mikveh. And Michitzin, which we talked about, are all Halacha Moshe And what we're going to focus on over the course of this hour is what does that phrase mean, Halacha LeMoshe Uh The simple read of it would be, if we were not, if we weren't to go any further in this, would be to say these are all things that were given by God to Moshe. And our second statement would probably be, and they were not committed to writing in Rashi Bichtav. And they were given simply as what we would call Torah Pet, which would mean that Moshe Sinai would then be a synonym with Torah Shaval Pet. We'll see that it's not exactly the case. There's a lot of fine-tuning we have to do. So the first challenge is on Shi'urin, and that is Shi'urin. Doraita. Shi'urin are actually all Doraita. Now notice how the sugya is going, is being D'oraita means that it's not Moshe Misinai. Does that mean that Moshe Misinai is of some other status, not daoraita, which would have to mean less than daoraita because there's nothing more? Or does it mean that daoraita here doesn't speak about its status but about its source and saying Allah V'sinai is considered with the strength of daoraita and is considered a Torah law, but shiurin are explicit in the Torah and are not purely oral. Let's see, and you take a look at the first verse, we don't have to read it, it's the verse... Uh, in the beginning of Parshat Ekev, which praises Eretz Yisrael for the seven wonderful species, and we have a drasha in that in that pasuk. V'Emrav Chanan, Kol pasuk hazel in Amar. Now this is a very difficult midrash. It says that this entire pasuk was there to teach us shiurim, which would mean that shiurim are actually explicit in the Torah. Well, not really, because as we'll see, there are many many shiurim that aren't even touched here, and I'll mention a couple of them when we finish the list. But in addition, the uh, the uh, inferences or the derivations from this pasuk are very difficult. Uh, we'll start with the first one. We'll go through all seven of them. Chita. All right, so chita is wheat. What is the word chita teaching us about In shiurim? We have a mishnah in masachet negaim, about becoming tame when you enter a bayit menuga, a house that has tsarat. the bayit so if you walk into a Bait menuga, and you're carrying uh, clothes, or you have them in your hands, and it's the clothes that you, you're not wearing them, then the, you are tame right away, and that has nothing to do with chita. But if you were wearing your clothes, and you had your shoes on your feet, and your rings on your fingers, etc., you're tame right away anyways. Um, however, they are tahor unless you stay in that house long enough to eat a pras, which is half a loaf, we assume, of chitin, of wheat bread as opposed to barley bread. And we're talking about eating it, reclining, and eating it with something on it. Liftan means something you'd put on the bread, and it's not just bread. So the shiur... The, the amount of time that you'd have to be in that house, the Bayit Menuga, which probably, remember, according to some opinions, is a a completely theoretical halacha, um, would be the amount of time it would take to eat a half a, a loaf, a pras, of wheat bread, but you'd be eating it reclining and with something on it, not just stuffing it in your mouth, standing up. Whatever that amount of time is. So the word chitan, the pasuk is telling us that chita is the measure for the shiur of that particular halacha bait menuga. Okay, seorah seorah is barley. To we have the famous mishnah etzem ki seorah mitamev magav masa. A bone of a uh, a dead person is mitame if it's the size of a barley corn. magav it has to be bigger than that. Rovakav um, for be, to be metame ba'ohel, but as far as if you touch it or you carry something and it's on it, then your tame, even if it's the size of a Sora. So the word sa'orah is there to tell you that's shiur. Now, before we go further, let's, let's, look, let's take a look at the essential difference between these two. In the case of Se'orah, we're saying that the word the Torah references barley, and and what we're saying is that the word barley is telling us a shiur. That's the shiur of the size of a bone for tumah. Okay, I get that. But it's saying that the, that the when the Torah said the word chita wheat, it was not referencing something about wheat itself, but it was saying that the amount of time that you have to be in a bite menugah for those clothes that you're carrying in your that you're wearing. To become tame is the amount of time it takes to eat X amount, and X is not specified in this Pasuk at all, of Dafka wheat bread. By the way, that shear could have been given differently, the amount of time it takes to take to drink X amount of wine, or the time it takes to eat X amount of barley bread, it could have been more or less time. So the two are really not of, of a kind. The third one is Geffen, and Geffen is Kede Rividian Lenazir. Now, this one is really difficult because geffen means the vine, references wine, um, and refi- references grapes also, and the idea is that a nazir is liable for breaking his nazirut and liable for lashes if he has drunk a revi'it of wine. So the word geffen here is really not informing me about a or at all. In other words, the, the first two were telling me this is an amount of time or amount of material. Here, just saying geffen. and we already know that a nazir is not allowed to drink geffen. That's explicit in uh, in Bar Vav. So the idea that a nazir is in violation if he's had a revi'it is a very difficult uh, piece to come from here. Now, te'ina, a fig, k'groguro, lotzat shabbat. This one's a lot easier. It says that a, a fig, that size, the size of a dried fig, is the default size for foods for carrying on Shabbat. So if you carry it out, most foods uh, that are, if that size or more, you'd be liable. That size, Less than that size, you wouldn't be liable. That's the minimum sure for carrying on Shabbat, and that's through uh, the middle prakim of Shabbat. Rimon, right, a pomegranate. none. this is in Masachat Kilim. Kol klei v'ale v'atim, shiuran k'rimonim. When a non-artisan makes a vessel, if the vessel breaks, like a pot, if it breaks and the uh, hole is big enough to be able to take out a pomegranate, then that is considered to be no longer a valid clea and it's not makabal tumah anymore, and if it had tumah, the tumah is gone. So the shiur is the size of Rimon. Again, this one, like the te'ina and like the Saora, are about the size of that elemental item, Okay. The next line is Eretz Zait Shemen. Now, Zait Shemen means um, oil of olives, meaning olives that give oil, right? So it's not just olives that give oil, Zait Shemen. Uh, you notice they put the word Dvash in smaller letters because in many manuscripts of the Gemara, the word Dvash doesn't appear here uh, because it does appear next. Uh, Eretz Shekol Shureka Zaytim. So why is it called Eretz Zait Shemen? Because it's a land with a law, that all of the Shiurim are Kazayat. Now, you think about it, Kazayat's kind of the default Shiur we think about, but specifically when it comes to food, not drink, and when it comes, specifically when it comes to issues of usually liability and occasionally for fulfillment, like you have to have a Kazayat Matzah on Pesach. But, of course, a Kazayat Chameitz is Kareit and a Kazayat of Nevela Getshimakot, etc. But you can't say that it's a land where all the shurim are kazayat, because damran. we just gave a list of several things at least where the shur is not the kazayit. Erot shirov meaning a land where most of the shurim are kazayat, are the size of an olive. Now, it could be that this one derivation is the one that they're picking on, meaning that they're taking a look and saying the Torah signals to you that the default shear for foods is Kazayat by using the word Eretz, Zayt Shemen, repeating the word Eretz here, Zayt Shemen, and telling you that that's the, that that's the standard. And if that's the case, then uh, shu'rim are not halachal no are alluded to at least in a very strong way in a pasuk. All right, perhaps dvash, and was dvash? Dvash is honey, but the way that we all understand this is date honey and not bees honey. The shiur for eating on Yom Kippur is actually not kazait, but it is like a thick date. Kotevatagasa. All right, so now the Gemara ask, Are these shiurin really written? And the, and the Gemara now is challenging the way we challenge it. These derivations are not very strong and not very explicit. And the Gemara then answers, So now we have what may be a new definition, or a modified definition of Halakha LeMoshem meaning Halakha it's Halakha LeMoshem Sinai that Koteva Tagasafi Yom um, Kippur, it's Halakha Sinai that Kegrogera Lotzat Shabbat, and it's Halakha Sinai that, that's some Kisora, maybe Magav Mas'at. But the rabbis then took this pasuk and made an association as a way, as a sort of a mnemonic, as a mnemonic tool, which is one way that we understand what an atzmachta is. Okay, um, let's continue, because we the claim of Rav was that there are three areas that are halachal HaMoshav One was shiurim, and now we fairly comfortably come along saying, come, come on the other side of this piece saying that, okay, shiurim are... They were orally transmitted and not committed to writing, but there are psukim that we can sort of find hints to, to remind us of what the shiur is. Okay, doraita ninu. Here's the challenge that the issue of a Chatzitsa for mikveh is also doraita. Dichtim, rachatz p'amayim, called besaro. Um, the way that this pasuk shows up in many of our Gemara is actually not a pasuk at all. Rachatz and It doesn't exist anywhere. Rachatz and What's the Drasha? devar Bain So you have to wash all of your flesh in the water. And the idea there should be nothing dividing between your flesh and the water, like a uh, bandage or something, clothing. Uh, now, what is the Bemaim? Bemei Mikva. Okay. they What is Kolbesarov? Now it's interesting because this actually doubles back to the previous piece of Shi'ur. Remember, Shi'ur, are not just about food. We saw Shi'ur, for instance, about the size of a bone for Tuma. So now, kol gufo it bahen, meaning what's the size of a mikvah? the size of a mikvah is a mikvah that your entire body could go in. So what's that measure? So the idea is an average person is one ama squared, three amot high, so three amot cubed, put it. Um, and that by the way is gonna typically be the case because unless somebody has very strange uh, proportion body, they're gonna their their ama is going to be roughly their width and and uh, and girth and um, and three amot is typically gonna be their height, because an ama is a personal measure. But if you standardize it, so right, there's some people for whom this is way bigger and there's some people for who would not fit in water this much. But, so the Chachamim then did a measure basically of area to cubic area to volume and came up with 40 Sa' as filling that area. And that's now the Shiur. Okay, but our, the main thing we saw is b'sarol is now explicit in the Torah. In other words, the way that we're reading the Pasuk, that you have to wash your flesh directly in the water. And without, an, without anything interrupting it. So the answer is, the answer is, you're right. Words, at this point, we're conceding and saying, So what's the halachalamoshwe Sinai? It's there to tell you that applies also to your hair and not just to your flesh, because the hair is not mentioned. I said the following, If you have one hair, and it's tied to itself, that's a chatzitzah, the water can't get in. Shalosh enan chotzot, if you have three that are braided together, the water can get in. in yodea, I don't know what to do with two. But the point is that there's a chatzitzah in hair. But the problem is the way that we're reading the pasuk, saro is, hair is also do-reitah, et and what's the word kol there coming to add? et we're getting from the word et, based on the famous drasha of Rabbi Kiva, who used the darshan all the etim Shimon Hamsoni, et Hashem and then Rabbi Kiva came along and said, et HaShemelukach chachamim et is extensive. It extends the piece. And what's that? It So what is it that's attached to your body? Your hair. So your hair also is included in this. And therefore it's Doraita. So we're going to concede that point as well. Oh, there are two different considerations when it comes to a which are not explicit in the Torah at all. And that is as follows. What happens if you have a small area on your body which is covered by something that is blocking the water from getting to it, and it's something you don't care about? You leave it there, you don't leave it there, you're aware of it, you're not aware of it, you're aware of it, but it doesn't matter to you at all. So how does this play out? It plays out as follows meaning And now we're going to say this is the halacha on Rubo Moshe Mishinai. If it's something that covers a majority of your body, or perhaps a majority of your hair, and you're on it, meaning it's something you wouldn't want there, then chotzeitz. That's the chotzeitzah. It has to cover a majority of your body and be something that you don't want there. If it's something you don't care about, it could cover your whole body, you don't care about it. It's not a chatzitzah. And V'gazru al rubo mishum rubo So the rabbis then came along. This is not the Allah Khalam The rabbis came along and made a If something covers a majority of your body but you don't care about it, they said it's also a chatzitzah to protect against the case where it covers a majority of your body and you do care about it. And they also extend it in the other direction something that covers a small amount of your body, but you care about it, to protect against a case where it covers a majority of your body and you care about it. In other words, two considerations. You need both of them in order for it to be a chazitza do banan, either one alone, to protect against a case where both are there, is considered a chazitza. And then we ask, Why don't they extend it even to mi'uto she'ino which should now be a double extension. The answer is, that's the problem. He, gufa g'zera, the extension to rubo she'ino or mi'uto is already a g'zera. We're not going to add another g'zera onto that, a double fence. We don't do double fences. And therefore, they left it alone. Okay, so now we understand that chatzitzina, l'achal specifically when it comes to the two considerations of percentage and personal attitude towards that. And personal attitude, Kepedah uh, is, is not a standardized thing, but it's, uh, it's uh, subjective. The last one is Mechitzot, and that's the reason this is here, because uh, it's the reason it's here, it's also the reason it's in Sukkah, because of the issue of the, uh, the size of the wall, the height of the wall, etc. The height of wall the, uh, the gap in the walls, etc. Mechitzot, hu aron the essential mechitzah that we're familiar with is ten tefachim high. And um, we have a statement that says say, how do we know that ten tefachim is the shiur? Because the aron, which is an ama and a half high, and the kaporet is one tefach thick. We don't have a shiur in the Torah, but we assume it to be a tefach. So together, since an ama we assume is six tefachim, and amanah half is nine. Nine plus one is ten. kana Sara. So you find a hint in the Torah to the idea that a mechitza is ten because the kruvim are on top of it, above that, and so that's considered to be a station. Okay? So, the answer is, this is a mechlok at Ramey in Bili Masachat Midot about whether the amah, which is standard amah, is, is, uh, is sixth tfachim, whether an Amma in the Mikdash was also sixth Fakim. And Rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda's position is that Amata Kelim Chamishat Rabbi Yehuda's position is Chamishat which he says that this is a Sugya in, in Eruv a Sugya in both, at the end of the first paragraph of Batra, and several other places, uh, that uh, Rabbi Yehuda's position is that the Amah used for building Kelim in the Beit HaMikdash was not a full sixth Fahim, but a five Tefach. So if it's a five Tafach in the Torah, it doesn't tell us Tafachim. It just tells us Amot. It says the Aaron is one and a half Amot high. That means it's seven and a half, not nine. Because one and a half times five is seven and a half. Uh, and therefore, right. So according to Rabbi Huda then, you uh, you really uh, do need the halacha to tell us halacha. That a mechitza is ten tfachim high because if you were to use the model of the aron and the and the Kapal, right, you'd end up with less than that, and we all know it's ten. Okay, Rabeir Damar kol be the But Rebbeir's position is that all amot, whether binyan or Kelim, were all six. So maiko l'memar, according to him, you don't need that. The answer is, So we're going to defend it by saying, even Rameir would agree, in words, Rob's statement works for everybody, which is that um, the mechitzot are also uh, are also but a different component of the mechitzah. Now here we're on different ground. To We're finishing but to, that piece, but to sum up, in the area of shiurin, we totally backed off of saying that the psukim indicated the shiurim. We said that these psukim don't really speak to the shiurim, and the shiurim were all halacha Sinai, and were comfortable with that, and the pasuk is there as a mnemonic. When it came to chatzitsa in a mikvah, we said that really the two essential issues, which are the fact that a chatzitsa exists, and the fact that it exists for hair, not only for flesh, uh, is doraita. But the considerations of, of rove and makpid, those are halachal HaMashim Sinai. All right, and that, by the way, was a matter of consensus. Here, we got into a, a stickier area, because according to Rabbi Yehuda, who has no textual basis for ten Fahim because of, of his understanding of the size of an amah in the mikdash, therefore, he does need halachal HaMashim Sinai to tell us that the mechitza is ten Fahim high. And that's a standard mechitza for Shabbat, for Sukkah, etc., um, however, according to Rameer who has a standard amah, which would mean that he already has ten Fahim alluded to in the pasuk, he also has a need for it, which is several of the laws that apply. And we think about these more in the context of sukkah, but they also apply in Shabbat a lot, which are uh, good, which means good achit and good asik, which means that when a wall, let's say. Um, goes up several tfachim, we can imagine it going up all the way to the top, or gud achit, which means if it comes down, we can imagine it coming all the way down to the ground. The details are details. And levud, which is when two matters are within three tfachim of each other, we consider them to be connected. Uh, witness the mishnah at the end of the, our first parak of Eruvin with the ropes. And dofan akuma, which is a uniquely uh, and exclusively sukkah ruling, which is about a, uh, a wall which, um, which um, a part of the roof which is like an extended wall, like an L shaped wall that it, it, it doesn't interfere with the Sukkah, etc. All of those things are halachalamashim esinai. In other words, all of the, the nuances and all of the, uh, shall we say, end arounds and everything else around Mechitza. Are all halachah l'moshuv le- and that everybody will agree, and that's certainly not alluded to anywhere. Now there, we really do have to say the doraita, because you're going to fulfill the mitzvah of sukkah, and you're going to rely on a sukkah which has um, which has uh, let's say two walls that are a couple tefachim away from each other. And why do we consider them to be contiguous because of levud? Or you're going to have a sukkah with a Kumah and you're going to say that's okay because Arba Mot. In other words, we have to posit. That these particular laws of Gud, Levud, and kumah are Doraita, because otherwise, how would we allow ourselves to use them to border off an area in which we can carry, or for a Sukkah if they weren't Doraita? Okay, so that's our Sugya. Um, we, we will get a sharper sense of what, um, what Halachala Moshe Sinai means with this survey. Now, this survey is, believe it or not, not comprehensive um um as far as the use of the phrase allah Sinai throughout shas it's representative and then we're going to take a, a selective perusal at the at the cho- at the uh, selections that i have here uh, from the rambam uh the first place that it shows up in the mishnah is in masachat peah and it's an, and it's a curious uh piece most we'll see and the uh the topic of the second paragraph of peah is if you own a large field but it's bisected by one of various kind of divisions like a uh, road, etc., cetera, do you have to give two separate payout, one from each one, or is it one payout for all of them and all of those details? And the, the fifth Mishnah here tells us the following, that if you plant your whole field with one type of grain, then even though you use it as two granaries, or should we say two harvest seasons, nonetheless, it's one paya. If you planted it as two separate kinds of grains, then even if you have one common harvest time and even bring it one to into one granary, it's two separate peyot. But what happens if you planted two different kinds of wheat? Then it'll depend if you made it one goren. Then it's one peyot, two granot, a shte peyot. And in the Mishnah Vav, we have a story. So this fellow planted, and then he came to Rav Gamliel. Ask him the question. Now, this is what Maghamliel, by the way, has to be. Rabbi has because Lishkata Gazit is the seat of the Sanhedrin in the Azarav, of the Beit Hamikdash. Rabbi Gamliel, our familiar Maghamliel from Yavne, operates after the Churban, so this not happens. Maghamliel zaken, and they went up to Lishkata Gazit to ask to ask what was the tradition. Amar Nachum al-avlar. So there was a scribe there named Nachum we're going to see this name show up again. Shikibel So we have a tradition now that goes back to the Zugot, which would be two generations before Megamli Al Hazakain. The Zugot ends with Hilon and and it's that whole series of pairs of leaders. So this goes back now several hundred years, a tradition that goes back. Typically we say Shikiblu El refers to the last Navim, Chagai Zechar Yomalachi, which seems to mean that this rule was transmitted to Moshe, he transmitted to the Nevim, they passed it down, and this tradition had not been publicly promulgated, so therefore it wasn't well known. Rabbi Gamaliel himself didn't know it, but he came to the Lichkara HaGazit and he asked and he found out. That indeed is the halacha. If you have two kinds of wheat, if you make them one grain it's one peah; two grain it's two peah. Okay. This same kind of phrase shows up in a very unusual place, meaning in unusual context, in Masachet Eduyot at the very end. Amar Rabbi Yehoshua, source five, and you'll see why it's strange. Because normally you would think, based on both the word and the context that we've seen so far, that Alachal Moshe Sinai refers to Halacha, meaning that Hashem told Moshe, "Don't write this down, but I'm telling you to pass on orally." This is how you do X. This is how much of this you may have. This is how much of this will get you liable, etc. This is how much this makes you tell me. Whatever the, the issue might be. Now notice, again, that this starts out, just like in the previous Mishnah, with the recitation of a train of a chain of, tra- of tradition. I have a tradition of Ryocha Zakai. Rabbi Yeshua, by the way, was a younger student of Rabbi Ryocha Zakai. Before the Khurban. So here we don't have Zugot, neviim. just saying a tradition. His Rebbe and his Rebbe heard from his Rebbe, Sinai, which is Eliyahubana. this is unusual. We'll see why. Now, this Mishnah is unusual for a whole lot of reasons. All right, the first thing is that the topic under discussion is not a halachic thing. It is an agatic thing, and it's an agadic thing about something that we anticipate, that Eliyahu is going to come. And what's Eliyahu going to come for? So you ask the average person on the street, they'll tell you Eliyahu is going to come to announce that Mashiach is coming. says, I have a tradition that goes back, halachal le Moshe Sinai, Now again, halachal Moshe Sinai, is a strange phrase, because it's not halachat, which is that Eliyahu is coming, not in order to declare something that we don't know about to be and something else, Tahor. The l'karev means to identify certain families that uh, have made their way into the Jewish people and really shouldn't be there, and to distance them, or vice versa. But rather, l'racheku kuravin bizroa, but people who force themselves in with coercion and power into the community to distance them, and to bring close those families that have been pushed away forcefully, whatever that may mean. And now we hear a story. There was a particular family on the East Bank, and there was a particular fellow, Ben Ben Sion, who forcefully pushed them out of the community. Nobody could marry their kids, etc., there's another family, and the same Ben Sion, who was evidently a powerful guy, brought them close with power. It's for situations like that that Eliyahu is coming. Okay. However, the Mishnah is not done. He disagrees. Now, what's he disagreeing with? Is he saying that I have a different tradition, Allah He's saying there is no Allah Sinai about this. But he says that he's only coming in order to bring families that have been pushed away close, but not to push anybody out. And now, Omer, Lahashvotam Achloket. He's coming for one purpose, which is, whenever there's a halachic disagreement, to settle the disagreement. And this is how the Mishnah ends, by the way, which means that they are either turning to Rabbi and saying, somewhere along that line between you and Rehoham and Zakkai and his rabbi, something like that, somebody heard it wrong. Or that's one tradition. We have another tradition, but they're not buying this statement that I have a, a, a tradition halachah v'sinai, and it's Rabbi Yeshua who's saying it, who's a very, very big, big scholar and very big personality in the early first couple of first generations of the Mishnah. Shalom not coming for any of that. He's just coming to bring peace to the world. Shemar. He quotes the pasuk at the end of Malachi. Hinei Ruchis Halech At etc. Right. Fascinating discussion, but what's fascinating about it on several levels. First of all, to, impl- to invoke halachal and Sinai in a non-halachic topic. Second of all, to, uh, to present this as something which you have as a tradition, going back to halachal Sinai, about Eliyahu. Now let's think about what that means. That means that Eliyahu Navi, who comes uh, 400 years, will be generous, maybe longer than that, after Moshe Rabbeinu, and then is evidently destined, at least according to rabbinic understanding, to continue revisiting the world in all sorts of guises after he has left the world. Look at Malachim Bet, Perak Bet, and you'll see he leaves the world fiery chariot, chariot never really dies, unclear. Um, and throughout the later Nevi'im, uh, the later parts of Yeshayahu, seemingly, perhaps, but explicitly in Malachi, at the very end of nevuah Eliyahu is going to come back and 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 portend the great day of God. He said that great and, and what Eliyahu's job is, is so this is something that we got from Moshe now about what Eliyah is gonna do. Think about the difficulties there, uh, is uh, is this particular job. And then we find uh Rabihudah disagreeing and Rabbi Shimon disagreeing, and the Chacham saying that none of this is the case. is not coming for any job of that sort. So interesting topic. Um this is a relatively long Mishnah Daim but it, it's worth our, our energy. The Mishnah Yadayim, Masachat Yadayim in Tahrirot, Bo Bayom, Bo Bayom, Chazal tell us, is a reference to the day that Rabbi ben Azariah became the head of the Sanhedrin. And there was a, just a Torah fest and all sorts of questions were answered. Amru Moav, Mahin They asked the question, what do we do with Amon Moav, basically Jordan, during Shemitah? Now here's the problem. If uh, typically during Shemitah, like in Eretz Yisrael itself, in Shemitah, there's no masroth because nobody owns anything. All right, but the problem is, of course, that the poor who come to rely on maser Ani are not going to have maser Ani. So now, Gazara V'ritarfon maser Ani. Revitarfon said, here's the rule in Jordan on Shemitah. Kashmita in Jordan is secondary, shall we say. You give Maserani. Ani. Gazara Now the reason for this is because the Masrat cycle is the first and second years of Shemitah, it's maser V'ishon maser the third year is Maser Rishon Maser Ani, Maser Sheni you take yourself to celebrate New Shalim. Maser Ani you give us staka. The fourth and fifth year is Maser Sheni. The sixth year Maser Ani. What do we do with the seventh year? That's not covered, and we don't have what we don't have a, a kind of a background for what to do in in, in Jordan. So we have this machloket. I'm Rabbi Shmuel Alazar ben azariah Alecha Ra'ayah. Lamecha Tamachmir Shkolachmir Alav Raya. So, Rabbi Shmoel turns to Rabbi Lezman Azariah and he says, You're going to have to prove your point that it should be Master Shani. So, I'll tell it to you. I haven't changed any order of the years because remember, it's two years Master Shani, one year Master you year three. Two years Master Shani, four, five, six years Master So, the next should be Master Shani. So, I haven't changed the, the, pow- the pattern, as it were. Right? Um,. Tarfon achi Shina He said the opposite. Ritarfon should have to bring the proof. He's the one who's switching around the order. He's giving two years in a row of Maserani. Lameid. Heshiva ritarfon. So Ritarfon said, okay, I'll defend it. Mitzrayim chutzlaritz. I'm going to move chutzlaritz. Egypt is outside of Israel. Jordan is outside of Israel. Ma Mitzrayim Maserani Mishvit. So evidently, they already knew that in Egypt, if they were practicing Shemitah, they would give Maserani. Maserani Bavel is also chutzlart. Ma All right, so there was working with these precedents. Now notice, listen to those words, it's critical. Ritarfun says, look, let's think about it. You're right. Egypt is Maserani. I'm right. And you're right, Bavel is Maser Shani. So, which should Jordan be more like? He said Egypt is very close to Israel. And they made it Maserani so that the poor Jews would be able to know that they would have Maserani that year. So, the same thing with Jordan, it's right nearby. So, the same thing with Jordan, it's right nearby. And Rabbi Lozari says, Basically, it's an accusation that you're robbing God of Maser Sheini, then the consequences also from that same chapter in Malachi. Okay, our Rebbe Yeshua. So after all the dust is settled, I'm going to respond to Rabbi Tarfun who says Maser meaning I'm not going to go in his same direction. Evidently, the decree to practice Shemitah and Mitzrayim was a relatively new one, whereas Babel was an older one. In our case of Jordan is a new case. Let's take the new ruling and and derive it from the more other new ruling. Egypt was decreed by elders, meaning by Beitin. That was evidently done by prophets, meaning to have Shemitah then. Our case is rabbis. We don't have prophets. Now watch what happens. They took a vote, and they voted in favor of Bitarfon, that in Jordan you give maser Ani. Beautiful. We're all very happy. Now, what happens? Rabbi Yosef Ben Dur Dur Meskit was from Damascus. Eitzel Rabbi Eliezer Belod so now, this is now, again, the first generation of Yavnin, this is the day was seated, this is when Rabbi, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Gamliel uh, was ousted, if you remember, and Rabbi L'Azzer lives in Lod, they came to his house in Lod, he said, tell me, what new thing was taught in the Beit Midrash? They took a vote, and they came to the conclusion that you give Maserani on Shemitah to uh, in in Jordan. Baha <laughs> Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Eliezer wept. Sod that neither Rabbi told the meaning those people who are in God's inner circle know the rules. Save <laughs> al He said, go back and tell them not to pay attention to their vote. Now you would expect at this point that he would say, because I have information that the halacha is against that. No, he doesn't say that. Mekubal Anim Bir Rabban Yechonan Ben Zakai Shishamam Mir Abow Ver Does this sound familiar? This sounds like what Rabbi Yeshua said in the previous Mishnah, a tradition. B'dor Yehoshua Ben Zakai, who was Rabbi Yehoshua's Rebbe, going back to his teacher, his teacher back Ad Halacha LeMoshe Mitzrayim. What Sha'mon Umoav Masvin Masarani B'Shviit. In other words, and again an anomaly here, Rabbi Yezer, does not challenge the ruling. He supports the ruling. But his basic contention is you had no need to go through all of the argumentation and all of the voting as opposed to we have a tradition and the tradition is that it's maserani. Now the tradition goes back to the Moshe Sinai. Let's think about what that means. Because if the notion is that at Har Sinai, HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Moshe, okay, you're going to have Amon and Moav, and Amon and Moav." are going to be chutzlaretz. You're going to make a rabbinic decree to practice Shemitah there. And when you do so, make sure that everybody also gives Maserani during that year. Think about how difficult a statement that is. Because either we're going to assume that Amon and Moav is part of Eretz Yisrael because of the conquest of Sihon and Og and the settlement of Reuben God. Or else, in which case, it's full Shemitah and there's no Maserot at all. Or else we're going to assume it is Full chutzlarets, and there's no shemitah there at all. And indeed, it's a much later ruling, as we saw in the Mishnah, that they imposed the laws of shemitah there. So it's a very difficult piece to say that Halachah Moshe B'Sinai refers to that. And you see in the Tosefta, a slightly different version of the story. Um, but I'll just read the in the in the bigger print. I'm Yosef Kitani Hayitim Shabain so in this story, Rabbi Yal-Yazir said, I was in Yavn, I came to Lod, I found Rabbi there in a baker shop. He asked me the question. We might remember this phrasing from the famous visit of the two students to Rabbi, to Rabbi Shua. We said... Uh, we I said I'm your student. I came to learn from you. What are you asking me? What happened? I'm already What was nonetheless, tell me what was new in the Beit Midrash? So I went through all of the questions and answers that happened in the Beit Midrash. Shigati when I got to that one, He started crying. Now we have a different one. Pasuk from Amos that says, God never does anything without telling his prophets. Now, this is a very different take in the Tosafta, Not about our topic, but about this story. He said, go back and tell them not to pay attention to their vote. In this version, it does it goes back to the Zugot, like we saw in the uh, in the first Mishnah from Payab. Alright, so the wording here is even stronger that it goes back quite a ways. Uh, that that uh, But notice in this case. He was crying, evidently, because he was so happy that he had sort of had this either intuitive or explicit knowledge that was given to him that he seems to say was somewhat prophetic, uh, and uh, and nonetheless he then turns around and says no I don't have it prophetically but rather every tradition that I got from uh, that I got from my rabbi that goes back his rabbi etc halachah lemosh sinai. so how do we defend this position that halakhah moshe would apply to things that are evidently dirabanan so we have several directions to take one direction to take is to say that halakhah moshe means that god told moshe in the future such decrees are going to take place and when they take place this is the specific application that's possibility 1 very difficult Possibility, too, is to say that Halachal HaMoshe Sinai here was vaguer, meaning saying that if at any particular point you employ shmita on a neighboring country, then make sure to employ, to, to add in Maserani at that time. It could have been even vaguer than that, which is that Halachal HaMoshe might have been saying that any time that you have the opportunity to increase staka, employ that. Difficult. And the fourth possibility, which some Mishonim Madra uh, uh, raised, is to say that really there's halacha de Rabbanan, and halacha de really just means that it goes back a long ways and is sort of an ancient tradition that we can all accept. However, as you saw in the Mishnah about Eliyahu and Avi, um, it was not a Mishnah, it, it was not a Halakha that they all, they all accepted, and they disagreed with it. And by the way, it seems from the story in Yadayim about Amon Umoav, that not everybody accepted that it was halachalamoshim esinai and they duked it out. We don't hear that when they found out what Rabbi Yezer said, they went back and said, Oh, then all of our reasoning goes out the window. Unclear. Okay, let's continue with our survey. Um, in a, uh, a famous Tosefta in Masachat Sukkah, uh, we have the statement that Arava halachalamoshim esinai. Arava meaning the Arava that we hit on the last day of Sukkot. We call it Shonarabah. That is halachal Moshe It doesn't say it anywhere in the Torah, that we have to pick up an Aravah on the last day. Aba Shaul Torah. He disagrees. He says, no, it is in the Torah, which means we all agree we do it. The question is, why do we do it? Do we do it because we have an oral tradition? Or do we do it because there's something in the Pasuk? Aba says because it's Ve'arvei Nachal. When the Torah introduces the the Aravah in the Araminim, it uses the plural, Arvei Nachal. So he says, "Aravala lulav, One for the lulav, and one for the misbeach on the last day." Okay, good. Um, now we, but we're going to broaden the the scope. As you can see here in this sugiah, from first from the second parak of Shabbat, not I can read it through. You can see it in the colors, and then uh, in the sixth parak of Shabbat, many of the halachot of tefillin. In 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 the sixth paragraph of Ayah says that the Shin that's on the tefillin, the dalad that's on the knot, the Yod that's on the knot. These are all halachah lemosh Sinai. The fact that tefillin are cubed and the fact that tefillin the, the straps are black, these are all halachah All right. Uh All right. We find in Megillah meaning the amount that the fact that you have to leave room in the Sefer Torah when you stitch, that's halachah lemosh And We'll find that many of the halachot that have to do with with uh, writing a sefer Torah and with tefillin, etc., our halachah lemosh um, The the um, we're actually only going to make it through the several selections in the Bavli in this shiur, and we're going to pick up in the next shiur still on this on this uh, in this handout when we take a look at the and a fascinating midrash, and then at some Rambams. So in um, in Moed Katan at the beginning, we have um, uh, this is a valvang discussion, which is uh, about um, uh, planting or ploughing, shall we say, during the period leading up to Shemitah. So the Mishnah at the beginning of Shviit, you see it in source twelve, uh, says how long are you allowed to to plough for the for an in an orchard before Shemitah. So Bichamai says as long as it still helps the fruit, and Beitella says until Shavuot, and the Mishnah then says, that's about the same time. And then how about a grain field? So uh, the opinion is, licha, when all of the moistness is gone, until then. All right, and as long as people are still plowing, typically, to plant squash, etc. Shimon says, then that means that the shiur is subjective. He says, no, stay very simple. Grain fields till Pesach, orchards till, till Shavuot. Very simple. Okay. Now, Rabban Gamliel, of Beit Dino, in the red, al shnei prakim alalu bitlum. They Their Beit Din got together and they voted down those two dates. All right. So, the question was, Rabban Gamliel, or Beit Dino, that was asked of Rabbi Yochanan, heichim atzom vat takanta de Beit Shamaid Hillel. made a made a takana, which is essentially this. Let's remember, Shemitah itself starts on Rosh Hashanah. There is a law of Tosefit Shemitah which goes back maybe six weeks, maybe four weeks. You're not allowed to do planting or working during that period just before Shemitah. But now this is earlier than that. Beit Beit Hillel extended it earlier in the sixth year, meaning the middle of sixth year. How could Megamliel overturn that law? We have a rule in Eidu Yot, Vatnan, Eid meitin yachol avatel, Divrei beitin chaviro, Ken minyan. You're never allowed to overturn the ruling of an earlier beitin unless you're greater both in numbers, the size of the beitin, and in wisdom. And by the way, who's ever going to say, yeah, we're a greater beitin than the previous one? All right? So the answer that they they give, after Yishtom Emikisha Chada Pasuk in Daniel, he was silenced, uh, kind of stunned for a moment. So, Marla, Emur Kachit itnu he said, maybe that was the original rule that they made, quote, which is, by the way, an, uh, an open door to, to uh, legislative chaos, which is to say, yeah, they made a rule, which was, here's our rule, and anybody who wants to overturn it can overturn it. Now, the question is, did who he? Was it really Beit Shem Hillel's rule that was then overturned by Gamliel and said, you could plow later? Halakha Moshe mi-Sinai. It is halakha lamosh v'sinai. Tam rabbi Yassem, rabbi Yochum, rabbi Nchun, pikat, pikat, beit choratan famous statement. Eser nitiot. we're going to get to this. Aravav v'nisuch hamaim halakha lamoshem misinai. So these three things, it's a kovitz, these three things, 10 saplings, now that means if you have 10 saplings planted in a beit sa'ah, which is 50 amot squared, um, 2500 amot, then uh, you can plow up until Rosh Hashanah. Uh, you can plow up until uh, up until Rosh Hashanah. Arava, right, which is the law of the Arava. Nisuchamayim libating the water on Sukkot. These are all halachah and Moshavit All right? So now, Amrabi Yitzchak, Kigmiri Hilchatash Toshim Yom Fe Rosh Hashanah. He said, What was the halacha of the Arava, of the Essen You could plow up until 30 days before Rosh Hashanah. Not what I said, 30 days until Rosh Hashanah tikun pesach extended it earlier. You can't plow after Pesach for a grain field and after Shavuot for an orchard. Right, and so um, the uh, the the made the rule. We're we're extending it, but if somebody wants to come along and overturn it, they can. Okay, but here's the problem. and this comes court cuts to the core of our topic. Is Esen Etiot really halachah L'mosheh Misinai? What are the challenges when you say there's halachah L'mosheh Misinai? The first challenge you bring is it's the, right. I mean it's explicit in the Torah. Kraininu, It's 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 Psukim, detanya Now this is a tricky Pasuk. The Torah says, Tishbot B'Charish U'Bakatsir Tishbot You work for six days, on the seventh day you rest. With the harvesting and the and the um, I'm sorry and the plowing and the and the reaping. Now, what plowing and reaping is this? Huge machlok, Rabbi Kibra Rabbi Shmael. Here we go. Rabbi Akiva, Mer ain't so marchir shal shit. It's talking about Shemitah. But it's not talking about Shemitah itself. Sharik Kharna ne'mar Zam, Khmachalod The Torah explicitly prohibited plowing and reaping on Shemitah, reaping for business. El Ella Kharishal Ereb shvit it's talking about plowing before Shemitah. The end of the sixth year. Katsir Shvit or reaping stuff at the after Shemitah. Now, that's Rabbi Akiva, which means according to Rabbi Akiva, the idea of the Essenatiot is explicit in the in the text. No, it's about Shabbat. And it's a wild thing, not our topic, but a wild thing. Macharishut What does the Torah say? What you have to avoid doing on Shabbat is plowing and, and harvesting, because what do we know about plowing? There is no plowing in the world, that's ever mitzvah. All plowing is is in the non-mitzvah area, reshut. Therefore, what kind of harvesting is is uh, prohibited? Harvesting, which is not a mitzvah, reshut. Yatzak tzirah omer shi mitzvah, as opposed to cutting the omer, if the 16th of Nisan is on Friday night, we cut the omer to bring it on Shabbat, even though we're violating Shabbat, because the Torah said you got to do it. Right? And the Torah only prohibited Katsir, which is Rashut. And this is an anti-Essene uh, uh, statement, because the Essene, it, like, take a look at the Mishnah in the 10th parak of Menachot, you'll see. All right? But what do you see? That according to Rabbi Akiva, this Pasuk shmita, Shemitah already tells us that we have to avoid plowing during the month before shmita. cry Oh, the halacha l'moshav Sinai. <inaudible> Was there for saplings, to allow us to plow for saplings, and the pasuk is there to prohibit plowing for older trees. But wait a second, what do you need both for? If the halachat lemoshvesina is coming there to explicitly permit plowing for a sapling, by definition, you know that the uh, an, uh, an an already established tree you can't you can't plow for. It. Rabbi Ishmael The answer is the Halakhala Mushmisina is coming only for Rabbi Ishmael. That's is what we saw before with Rabbi Yunura Mayor. The Talakhal Mushmisina is coming only for Rabbi Ishmael, who holds that this Pasuk is about Shabbat. Cry the Rabbi Akiva and for Rabbi Akiva it's a Pasuk. He doesn't have that halal, which means is there Allah on Sinai or not? Well, this is not the only time that we've seen that there's a dispute about it. Meaning, I have a tradition that I received from my Rebbe going all the way back to Moshe Sinai, and the other person says, "No, I don't have that tradition," or "No, you don't have that tradition," or "No, that tradition is incorrect because either I disagree on point, or else I have a pasuk for that." Okay, and this is a a different take. Okay. Um, a whole different look, a whole different area of Halachal Sinai. And again, when we've, when we've completed our survey of this, uh, which will certainly take uh, this and the next shiur, then we'll start examining, putting all this together, what this concept means and how we're to interpret it and what's the assumption of making the claim that Halachal HaMoshem Sinai, what's the assumption of what that means. Okay, we have in Masachet Nedarim, if somebody takes a neder of Hana'a from another person, I can't get, I can't give, I'm not going to give you Han'a. The Mishnah says you're still allowed to teach them or teach their children Torah. Because that's supposed to be taught for free. So the question is what part of Torah you're allowed to teach. So they have the following. So the Levim read the Torah explicitly and explained it. What does all this mean? That refers to reading the text. Miforash means targum. They translate it in Aramaic. What does that mean? They told them where to stop. Some punctuation. They understood it. Zepisuk tamim. That's referring to the trope marks. Not the marks, actually, because they didn't have the marks yet, but the idea of how to how to punctuate, how to parse the phrases. Or it could actually refer to few to the Masoretic notes, which of course don't exist yet. Yitzchak, he said mikras sofrim, ve'itur sofrim. We'll see what all these things are. V'kriyan ve'lo k'tivan ve'lo karyan, halakha la All of these phenomena are halakha la What is that? Mikras sofrim, what's that? Eretz. How do you say Eretz when it's at the end of a phrase, at a pause, either at Nacht or Sopasuk, you say Eretz. All right? Shamaim. Become goes from a, kamaz, a patach to a kamat. Mitzrayim, same thing. So, in other words, the nuances of vocalization are lach What's itur sofrim? So, achar t'avvaru, achar t'adrach, achar t'hasef, k'inmusha etc. In other words, things that are, and a big dispute about where this comes from, things that are written in a slightly modified fashion to bring greater kavod shamayim Take a look, for instance, at Rashi in in Parsha Vayera. v'loch What's that? There's examples of things where there's words that are not written in the text. We read them in, right? Prat de belechto. That's in Yirmiyahu. Ish tik yishal ish b'tvare Elohim. That's in Shmuel uh, with Achitofel. Ba'im, de nivnat La de plitam la de plitam et hagadu God. Eli da Goren veEli da Sorim, um, both those in root. If you read them without root, you look in the Klaaf. There's the word's not there, and you have to know how to read Eli to read it anyways. That's called Karyan v'Loch Tivan. Halem Karyan Katvan v'Lo Karyan. What about things that are written we don't read? So Islach, That's what Naaman. Zot Mitzvah. Yidroch da Khamesh to Pat Negev. Im de Chiguel. Also in root. So these are all textual phenomena. And the and the Gemara is saying that these textual phenomena are all considered halakha limoche misinai. Um, again, it's not a comprehensive survey, but the ones I picked are because each one of them adds to adds to the discussions. Um, we have um, a, a Mishnah in Masachat Nazir, where Rabbi I think it's Rabbi Elazar. azar it's, it's a different text, but it's very hard to think that Rabbi Elazar is quoting Rabbi Yeshua. And he quotes him about, and it's not our concern what, what the particular halakha is. Rabbi el Gamarla. did he really learn this from Yeshua? We have a whole story in Tanya. I found him as the Student studying in front of her That's why this has to be Rabbi Lazar. Amartilo clumata bakib, Rabbi Yoshua barmemel. Do you know Rabbi Yoshua Amar Amartelo, hain, hain, I do. Kachem Yoshua barmemel, Mishum Rebbe, and then he quoted him. Mishum Rebbe Yoshua barmemel, Gamarla. So this halachan, again, I, we don't care what this Halakha is for our purposes. He learned from Mishu barmemel. But in our Mishnah, it says Mishum Rebbe Yoshua. Mishmamiyah. So what do you learn from this story? Kol mit dimit amra bevetlata kadmoi. Whenever you have a tradition that has three links or more, a tradition, which means there's three names, you have to mention the first name, meaning the person who you are from, and the last one, meaning the person who originated it. We don't have to say the middle one. All right, so in other words, when you're reciting a tradition that goes back a number of generations, you don't have to list everybody. You list the person you heard it from, and you'll hear the per- you will list the person who it's credited to as the originator. <laughs> we have a braita that supports that, and you'll notice that this braita sounds curiously like the Mishnah Peah, but not exactly. <laughs> now notice, Nachum al says, I heard it from Ramiasha, heard it from his father, heard it from the Zugot that got from the Nevim, which means you're skipping a bunch of generations here. If you have a field, and then you plant some straw, or some mustard, shall we say, in different spots, each one you have to give a separate pay for, the Mishnah. he skipped Yoshua and Kalev, and it was in Nevim, it went straight to Moshe. So in other words, you don't have to mention everybody. You skip around. Okay? Good. Um, this is... Um, these are the last two we're going to take a look at. Both in Masechet Nida. So a woman came to Rebbe Kiva. shanim. When I was a little girl, somebody raped me. Clearly it wasn't consensual. Ma'ani Likuna? Right? And... Uh, can I marry a cohen? Evidently the one who raped her was not Jewish. Amalak Sherat lekuna, you can marry a coin. Amral Rabbi Msholokamashalamada Radoma. What's it like? The Tinokshitam Nulo It's Baobidvash. It's like a a little child, you stick his finger in honey. Pamishinau Shniago Erbash, the sheet mitzatza. So the first couple of times he doesn't like it, then he licks it, meaning it happened numerous number of times. Amarla imkem Sulat lekuna. So, if that's the case, then you're Psulah, meaning evidently he's saying that because this happens to you several times, that you are Psul. So, he saw his students staring at each other. What's the problem? I don't know what they say. They said to him, Similarly, the law that. A girl who has been, had sex before the age of three, it doesn't matter how many times, it doesn't matter by whom, it doesn't count. And therefore, she can marry right a Kohen. You're right, Rabbi Kiva actually agreed, and he was doing it to see if his students were being sharp. So, in other words, here we have the statement, Kol HaTorah Kula, Halachal Moshe And by the way, notice how they put it. They put it meaning it's the law, it's apodictic, it doesn't change with circumstances. And, um, and this law is a law like any other law. It is what it is. Okay, the, uh, the last thing I want to look at here is a sugi'at, the very end of Nidah. if you remember from Asakha Nidah, that there was a notion of 11 days being Nidah le Nidah. A woman, the first time in her life, sees Dam, the next seven, next seven days she's a Nidah. And then, according to most Rishonim, what happens is for the next 11 days, those are Yemei Zivan. If she sees Dom, then, then she's a Zava. And then she's nothing until the next time she sees and then she starts again. All right? Now, remember, if a woman sees Dom during Yemei Ziva, then she has to do Shomeret Yom Kenege Yom. She has to keep the next day Tahor, go to the mikvah, and that night she's Mutalabala. If it's two days, then on the third day she goes to the mikvah, and that night she's mutalabala. If it's three days in a row, she has to keep shiva nakim, and, and that's what, of course, all of our women do, shiva nakim in any case. Now, what happens if she sees Dam on the tenth day of the eleven days of Ziva? So, idmar, asiri, or asiri k'chii. Meaning, it's like, as if she saw on the ninth day, ma'chi ba b'yishimur. Right, even though the Asiri is the day before the last day, which means there would be no possibility of having three days of Ziva here because it would be the 10th, the 11th, and then it's finished with Ziva. Mishlaka says, no, the 10th day is like the 11th day. So just like if, and we'd all agree, if a woman saw Dam on day 11, she wouldn't have to do Shomrat Yom Keneged Yom because there's no possibility of becoming a, uh, a Zavagdola, so, therefore, the tenth also. So, some people learn this machloka as being about this. Meaning, Rabbi Kiva was arguing using the word bashemon several times about what the shear of shemen is for the menorah. Sorry, for the how much it goes with the in the mincha that goes with the uh, breads of the Todah. We have a half a log shem and the todar, vit yayim and the nazir, and and sinai. Okay? So we have this statement that these three things, just like we saw before with asara, esen um, etiot, uh, and arava and nisuchamayim, three things together, these three things are also halachal moshim sinai. Now, my halacha, what does it mean halacha? Now, watch this wild statement. Yachamah halacha, um, Rabbi Yochanan says it's the halacha of day 11. And Rabbi Shlake says, no, it's the days, the halachot of the 11 days. The halacha only applies. So he says, now, what's the halacha of the 11 days? The day 11 doesn't need shimur. And then, the challenge that we've seen throughout is, these are not halachot, these are all psukim. And they go through the long dosha, we're not going to look at it, all in blue, the whole long breita, uh of the psukim indicating about Shomerat uh, Yom Kineged Yom, and two days and three days, etc. Alma cry ninu, at the end, we see it's all from psukim. So the answer is, the Akiva krai, the v'lazvan zayi hilchata. You're right, according to Rabbi Akiva, these are all from psukim, and not halachal moshe According to B'lazim and Azayah, they are actually hilchata, halacha ala Sinai because he doesn't buy this read of the Ebreitah, you'll see it inside. Okay, we're going to pause at this point, uh, we're going to pick it up in Mirza next week, uh, where we're going to take a look at several passages in the Ushalmi um, and uh, a selection of the Ramam's formulations and then a couple of uh, variants things, we do Sheh and hopefully by the end of next year, also to bring it to a close, and to be able to understand what this, phra- what this phrase, and of Halakha uh, Moshem Sinai, means, and how it's understood in the Gemara, how it's understood by the Rambam, and how it's understood by some other Rishonim.